Hey, John. Hey, Marcy. Oh my gosh, we have morning sexy voice. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm wonderful. I'm I'm sitting here in trepidation, but I'm I'm really excited to be back with you. I'm super excited that you have agreed to be effectively the most like badass wingman on a project that I know for a fact you are like not my shit. Don't like it. Don't like any of it, but I'll do it with you. You know, so only, I really appreciate it. The only person I will enter a neo-pagan Swedish cult for is you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pop Culture Theologians. My name is Marcy, and my partner in crime here is John. And John, why don't you introduce anyone new listening to the PCTs to who we are. Hi, everyone. It's so great to be back with you. Um, we have moved on into my terrifying area of uh, non-expertise, so glad to be here. Um, but we are the pop culture theologians. We are two academics who love the world of pop culture. Some of us find horror to be fun and amusing. I say some, um, but we find pop culture and all things academic um, and see where that goes into the world of theology and all the stuff that is interacting in our daily lives. Pop um, theology, if you will. Pop theology. It's a thing. <laughs> Look it up. It's definitely a thing. So John, if I wanted to find you on Twitter, because I know you have great things to say about things that are not horror films, uh, where would I find you? You can find me at jerickson85 on Twitter, uh, the Instagrams, and I believe Facebook now. Oh, nice. Uh, I am at Magdalena on fire, actually across the board as well. So Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Um, I'm a TikTok lurker, though. I, I don't post content. but um, I have posted two TikToks because I what? was bored. I'm going to have to like them since those of us who are ancient millennials on TikTok have to stick together. We have to stick together. I am also a lurker on TikTok. Yes. And John, where can folks find? So um, we are a sub project of the Engaged Gaze, um, which is a, a website that lives with our um, sister podcast, The Bible Bitches. John, you can find us there at engagegaze.com, right? Engagedgaze.com. Where we write about everything. <laughs> where we write about everything. And we have some stuff coming up. I know Anjanette's writing us a, a piece. Some of you may, may remember her from previous episodes. Um, but you can find all of her musings and writings. And I actually was going back and looking at her Westworld writings just last week. Westworld seems super relevant lately as we're trying to kind of break down our relationship with data AI and technology. So I am super excited to potentially revisit when we get news of the next season. Um, for folks who have listened before, John and I are really blunt and honest about our takes on TV shows. And we hold space for simultaneously loving a show and shitting on it for an entire season um, because that's how we love our shows. So um, we usually start out 
uh, our podcast before we jump into the context and the show and or movie that we are breaking down with our what the fucks of the week, which should be just a gentle reminder to folks. This is not a children's podcast. Um, <laughs> Although if you're like I, me and you're a child and you were growing up, you listen to these things. Right. True. I was like, if you're, I mean, if your kid's listening to a podcast on Midsummer, that's not on us. That's on you, boo. Um, so <laughs> what's happened this week? I will offer up as the resident, uh, Californian stuck in Florida. Um, I don't really have to go over the details of what's going on with Matt Gates. I just, um, yes, the cartoon villain from the Incredibles has an actual real life body here in Florida. Uh, He stands accused pretty credibly of having (laughs) been involved in trafficking children. And on top of that, um, just being an overall uh, piece of shit. So watching that story unfold has been interesting. Um, Via Venmo. Right. There's a lot of it that is just such a snapshot in, in time, right? The fact that his transactions came with emojis and everything via Venmo. I mean, I'm, I don't even want to assume how you emoji child sex trafficking. Um, his, uh, he's done a couple of events here in Florida. I actually just tweeted about one, which was for, uh, making America great. The women's clubs of Florida, a gentle reminder women that the hierarchy of whiteness, uh, will protect whiteness over gender and white women uphold the white cisgendered male Christian heteronormative patriarchy and rape culture. So congratulations, Florida women. Super proud this week. Um, just like a really strange story to watch unfold because I'm just going to be honest, if he was a Democrat, he would have been removed already. Like there, we this hand wringing of like, we have to do everything by the book. We don't have to do cancel culture when um, Democrats rightfully so uh, have stepped down and been removed and, and the process has been very quick. Uh, it's just really disheartening. Cause like at this point with Matt Gates's behavior, he might just be the Republican nominee. I mean, he's got all the qualifications for running now. So moving on from that, uh, a lot of you guys know, our last season was on the crown. So John, bring it home. Everyone. The dear Prince Philip has passed on. Shocked. Shocked. He has been dead for years. No, I'm sorry. We're not getting into conspiracy theories yet, are we? No, but I do think it's fair. I mean, we do claim to be two queens just taking a look at pop culture. No one's going to get dead. I am convinced he has been dead. They put a dead body in that car when he left the hospital. That was not a live person. My God, no. Um... (laughs) Uh, I will say I'm like super impressed that he held out to listen to Fearless Taylor's version before he let go of this earth. Um, Clearly a diehard Swifty. And honestly, I'm just not going to mourn a man who has upheld the Commonwealth and racism for about a hundred years. Did you see the TikTok where it went over some of the most racist things he said? Yeah, no, I mean, just like a, a terrible human being. And for those who are like, but he loved his wife. He didn't. He cheated on her until his dick stopped working. And then probably once they rediscovered Viagra, he kept going. 
uh, if we're going to mourn someone who actually made huge contributions to his community and to culture, um, definitely a humongous like rest in peace to DMX. Uh, DMX was 100% the sounds of middle school and high school for me. Um, so super sad about DMX passing, not surprised Philip passed. And for those who are like, Megan killed him. Okay, guys. <laughs> right. Tell okay. us how you really feel about okay. she black people. A chicken farm right. out here in Santa Barbara. You leave her. Thank alone. you. Uh, and then we'll close out before we jump into midsummer with the final what the fuck of the week. What the fuck are y'all doing with this panini? My God. Y'all, we are entering what I think is fourth or fifth pandemic. Um, yes, super excited. A lot. Right. A lot of folks are getting uh, vaccinated, but we still are not at herd immunity. We are dealing with super strong variants and strains that are much more deadly than the ones that were here before. Um, so cut it out. Stop it. Stop. Act like you're still in a pandemic because we are still in a pandemic. Some of us would like to not go into a third year of pandemic life. Uh, and the only way to do that if was, is if we start thinking communally, which is a perfect way to enter into a discussion about one of my favorite films in the last couple of years. If y'all could see John's face right now, literally just terror, like terror, we will be breaking I had down. to watch it again with the lights on. Like, As you should we're going to talk about that a little bit. So this season of Pop Culture Theologians will be on the women of horror, particularly the millenn millennial women of horror that have made such a huge impact on our collective. And we will be starting off with Ari Aster's Midsummer. John, I'm so excited. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> you pause for trepidation. Do I back out right now? I will say the only reason I have agreed to do this is I do love Florence Pugh. Who doesn't? I mean, seriously and truly, one of the most stellar acting performances of that year. Agreed. Um, agreed. I absolutely love this film on a technical, like from a technical perspective, uh, the writing, all of it. Um, I was just telling John that I will forever be angry that probably the best treatment of female grief and, uh, and its engagement with toxic masculinity has come from a man so far. Uh, uh, it really bugs me, but I, I'm going to die on that hill. I don't think there is a better film that does what Midsummer sets out to do. So John usually co-collaborates with me on our outlines. I didn't even ask him to do that. This is too traumatizing. So, um, so we're gonna walk through. And I am all about alleviating the toxic masculinity. You <laughs> John's like, take the mic, Mars, because I don't want to be here. <laughs> all right. So Midsummer opens beautifully with a mural, right? This, um, this uh, painted. Swedish mural that if you pause your screen, which you cannot do at the movie theater, I've watched this film probably 20 or 30 times. <laughs> John's He's watched it twice. I'm not joking. Um, I also, this whole year, friends kept sending me um, Midsummer gifts, which was really beautiful as my year of healing. So if you pause, we have a mural that is, um, it's not a triptych, it's a quad you would think having studied um art history uh i would know it's a quad um and so the first panel shows death right um and so what this is actually doing is 
similar to old German um, fairy tales, we're actually getting the full story in mural form before we enter it. So this should let us know, John, this should let you know we're about to enter a fairy tale, not a horror film. Not a horror. I mean, this is my, this is, it's like uh, Krampus. It's like what? Very good example. Who else wouldn't love a good fairy tale but the Germans? But the Germans, the Germans really know how to drive home fear as a way to get their children to do what they need them to do. So again, this first panel is, is death. We've got family death, death, which transitions to trepidation. So we've got an image of a young girl who's unsure and clearly in pain. And I think we are supposed to understand that as her old community which transitions to a new panel where it looks like she's questioning. So not really sure what's happening. She's surrounded by a new community. She's surrounded by possibility. And then we've got this final panel, which shows a fully healed, realized woman um, who accepts moving forward. She accepts what has happened. And she also accepts that she must leave everything behind to heal acceptance. And she is a May queen in this final panel. So we get that. That is probably three seconds into the film. And we are introduced to something Ari Aster does throughout this whole film, which is extremely disturbing, guttural, melodic singing. Um, John, I would like to use this at your next birthday. Please to, do. I, to I introduce hope, you when you walk will. in. Yes. <laughs> I think, you know, I would walk into, what, Katy Perry no no at least let me walk into some guttural swedish commune music (laughs) so we've got danny florence Pugh, um and we find out she's checking on her family right she's worried about her sister who is suicidal and she's getting no response but her intuition says something's wrong right and um where do they live in a haunted house now. <laughs> I don't know where it is, but I wouldn't where, buy no, that where, house Where now. does Danny live? That's the one thing I couldn't re- realize during the beginning of the movie. Are they in Europe? No, no, they're in the States. They're okay. 100% in the States. My guest is the Northeast based off of just kind of the architecture and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Um. So making a note, because this matters as we go forward, these scenes are super dark visually. Right. And that is so important. And again, that is actually what we expect from horror, right? We expect that one of the tools in the horror storytelling genre is to use darkness to kind of fuck with our heads and to move us through the anxiety of whatever the horror film is trying to work through. So when we walk into this film, we're like, all right, I'm still in my comfort zone within the horror genre. Um, And then she calls her boyfriend Christian which I don't think it is by coincidence that his name is Christian. I want us to hold space for that throughout this entire two-part breakdown of Midsummer, played by Jack Reiner, who does this perfectly. I would like to suggest that we replace uh, Chris Pratt with Jack Reiner in the Guardians of the Galaxy. They look exactly alike, but only one dickhead Republican. So there we go. You would never know. Never know. Interchangeable completely. Um, Okay, so, and we've seen this, John, a million times uh, with dudes. Um, She calls him, she tells him she's worried, and he's, like, completely uninterested. He's with his boys, um, 
and he goes, how's the sister situation going? Right. Which is kind of just such a, it's like, he's like very like far removed. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Cause this movie triggers me. Um, I have named this movie Midsommar or why John hates men. (laughs) (laughs) No movie has ever advocated harder for being a lesbian. I think than Midsommar. Exactly. Um, But like, it's, I was comparing this to like an unsympathetic husband who'd be like going to his wife. How are the cramps? Yes. Yeah. I love one. I love that you have sisters. So you actually have like a really real understanding of that. Yes. This is, um, so God bless my dad. But when I would get like really bad period cramps, he would just kind of like slightly open the door to my bedroom. Everything. Okay. Right. And it was like the, it was the bears. Right. Um, if you guys haven't watched You're the Worst, you all know I love that show. There's a scene where the main character, Jimmy, is told by his girlfriend, Gretchen, that she has her period. And he's like, all right, so I'll see you in a week. Right. And she's like, yeah, I'm just going to go commune with the bears. So, um, yes, very similar of like, just I know I have to say something that like I want to say the most far removed thing from having to engage with you and your humanity in this moment. Right. Yeah. And it's clear that he has her on speaker right? That his friends can hear his friends are like, what up? Um, and so he even goes so far as to kind of minimalize, um, her sister's, uh, bipolar disorder and gaslights her about how, you know, she shouldn't be concerned, but then he does this little thing that women and I'm guessing queer men can also recognize, which is he turns into the unneeded expert in the conversation. And so shocked and he's like um you know she's xyz you're this you're that like when he is actually asked to engage all of a sudden he is a psychiatrist a psychologist um he's everything and just shuts her down right and so this is a theme that you'll note through this whole film which is she has to just kind of accept the bare minimum of of what this man can offer her And then she calls her friend, right? Which we all do when we have like shitty boyfriends and like shitty partners. And she does this thing, which I've done. I I know my friends have done it. John, I'm sure you've done it. Where you call it a bitch about your person to a loved one. And then you overcompensate covering up for them. Because once it leaves your mouth, you're like, oh shit. Like it actually is worse once I say it out loud. So then she's like, I'm too much. I'm a chore. Like he's going to leave. Cause like, you know, he's just doing so much and it's like, he's doing the bare minimum. Yeah, right. Like the ongoing PhD student. Right. It makes me think of that TikTok. Um, don't be trying to double back. I already despise you. Like there's a joke, a running joke in our society that like the reason we don't talk about really pretty shitty situations is because we know that our loved ones would hold others to account, right? So she overcompensates with her friend. And then while she's talking to her friend being like, I am a pit of darkness and sadness. I'm confused. I'm scared. Christian, the Christian TM nice guy, is having this mirror conversation with his friends. Um, What what are his friends' names, John? Um, His friends' names are super white. (laughs) <laughs> even though one of them is played by the our proverbial cheaty who we love 
He is, but we're going to talk about how his blackness is used actually to highlight whiteness. Exactly. No. um, But for those of you who haven't seen it, go watch the new place or the good place. Um, Yes, please. So Christian is having a conversation with his friends, um, Pell, whose uh, name should tell you he's Swedish. It's Wilhelm Broglin. (laughs) Wilhelm Broglin plays Pell. Who plays Pell. Um, And then you have Josh. So... (laughs) Cheaty. Josh, Josh. Cheaty. <laughs> we are unapologetically Cheaty stands. So if it comes out as Cheaty instead of Josh, we apologize. But played by the amazing William Jackson Harper. Lovely. He's incredible. He's a brilliant actor and sexy as fuck. I know. I hate And I, I actually, I the sad thing about this is that like as a gay man who grew up in Wisconsin, so very Swedish country, Norwegian country, like all of these like the the Pell, the like Christian, like these like these like <laughs> typical Icelandic looking people. I'm like, oh, I would marry you. <laughs> no surprise there. To my stomach. <laughs> no surprise there. Again, this 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 film asks us to ask ourselves about our relationship with whiteness. So not surprising. And then we've got Will Porter, who I call eyebrows in everything he does, because his eyebrows are to the gods, cinched all the way to the back of his head. Um, he plays uh, uh, Mark. Is and Mark? he, as we were talking about, was in the Narnia series as the annoying cousin. Right, right. Um, Yes, and he, he How was- How far in- he's come. Yeah, he's come a long way. Um, he was in Holes as well. And so so Mark, who I think I even in this outline messed up with Josh, so we'll have to fix in some places. But so Mark, Mark's assessment of the situation with Danny is you're in a stupid relationship. I, this line sticks. You need a girl who likes to have sex. Fuck you, Mark. Fuck you, Mark. Um. And then Josh says, more intellectualized. So you'll notice that Josh's comments are always more intellectualized. They are all in a graduate program. John and I, having gone through graduate school together, know these men very well. Uh, Josh is like, it's masochistic to be with her. Okay, so she needs you for a hot minute and now it's masochistic. Okay, Josh. Um, And then he says that she's holding him back from finishing or starting, right? for some of us, it's both, uh, his dissertation and his studies, um, as if the, as if women and their interior lives are at odds with men's glory, right? As if it is impossible to be in relationship with authentically, holistically with a woman and not, not, you know, reach the pinnacle of, of all things, which is a dissertation, just such an obnoxious comment. Right. And then, um, So I'm going to call him Pele and I'm going to tell you why, because when I went to go live in Italy, I sat next to the most gorgeous human being I've ever met in my life in sweatpants, no makeup, horrified. And it was a young man named Pele who was a forward for the Swedish national soccer team. Um, The lesson learned there, y'all, is always dress like you're going to sit next to a Pele on a 13 hour flight because I did not. And while he forgave now me. now you live in Florida. Now I live in Florida. So not too much to impress, but it's like stayed with me, even though he was super sweet and flirtatious. And we actually like met up with each other in Europe when I was studying abroad. I will never forget what it felt like to watch this man coming down the airplane aisle and me being like, please don't sit next to me. Please don't sit next to me. My God, please don't sit next to me. Like 
and I'm in a Florida state sweatshirt, real, real classy. Um, and we had 13 hours to fly right next to each other. So go Gators, go Gators. <laughs> so Pele mentions that there's women in Sweden and then Danny calls Christian again. And as he's picking up the phone, um, Josh and Mark are like, it's abuse. So he walks away to take the call away from these dudes, which I think is a big thing. Um, and all we hear is, and again, a theme. The Florence Pugh. That's what I the call Florence, it. it should forever go down as the Florence Pugh. It is a guttural, gut-wrenching cry that lets you know that the worst has happened. By far the worst has happened. Um, one of the things I'm trying to do is be really cognizant of the way in which we talk about violence, right? So we're not going to break down how Danny kills her, her mother, father, oh, and herself. Sister. Huh? Danny's sister. Danny's sister. How, how Terry kills them, um, because it doesn't add anything to the story. Um, aside from the fact that I think we should hold again, hold a little bit of space and knowledge for the fact that um, the darkness in these scenes is a foil to what we are about to walk into as we enter midsummer. It's haunting. The scene it is, is it haunting. Is. And then it is one of the most, ooh, it is one of the most, and not disturbing in the, like, look, I've watched Human Centipede. I've watched Hostel. I've watched torture porn. I do not enjoy torture porn. I enjoy horror. And yet this scene will probably stay with me. You could play the first two kind of whales from this scene and I will know them. I will know, you will know it's midsummer by its screams, by its screams, like you will know. So um, what I do want to highlight here is Danny was right and her intuition was right. And Christian was wrong that there was no reason to be worried. So this unimaginable loss was felt and in, in like, she had this intuitive knowledge that something was wrong, right? So Josh comes over and he holds her while she just wails and wails and wails. And he's in a hoodie as if protecting himself from her and her pain. I think this imagery is super, super important. Um, and then it pans out to outside where it is again, very dark and it's snowing, right? Um, and if you remember that quad, art piece at the beginning we start off with winter and we start off in the cold so moving on from this we get kind of what is considered a time span scene so we don't know how much time has passed but danny is in her bed um just uh disassociating and processing grief right as someone who went through that over the last year this scene is really really beautifully done because it shows what happens to a body as it processes grief, you're still living, but you're not. You're still existing, but you're not. Um, John, I wanted to point out to you because I love it. Uh, and we talked about it the first time we talked about this film. Above her bed is a really interesting print. It's John Bear, who's a Swedish um, artist, and it's called The Little Bass Girl. Mm -hmm. And it's a little girl staring down a humongous bear, like straight in the face fearless well right? that's that's it foreshadows just so much in this film. so much i mean it's this little girl who florence Pugh, um like if you she's very tiny um yes and she's like the perfect actor actress for this film she really is um 
And it's, and you can think about what is this bear, right? Is this bear grief? Right. Um, which I think we could make a case for. I think with what we know right now, not spoil. granted, we always assume y'all have watched the films before you jump in here. But if you were to watch it first watch, you might not actually even catch the painting. I only caught the painting second time. And I, and I was like, that is her staring down the magnitude of this grief. Um, but then- But also what happens with that bear yes. later on. I'm really important. Realize the mixture of what Christian is and what grief is and what her pain is. Yes. And I actually have uh, a triptych of uh, John Bear paintings in my office with this poor little bass girl in the middle. Um, so absolutely love this painting. So Christian uh, calls her, well, she calls Christian, he invites her to a party. Um, they go to this party and offhandedly, Pele mentions that they're all going to Sweden, which seems like a big thing to not tell your girlfriend who is going through some shit, right? Um, is it Mark or, why am I fucking them up? Uh, it is, so Josh is going to study the rituals of Midsummer and Pele's village for his dissertation. The most cheaty thing that Josh does, uh, literally it's like having cheaty in a horror film, the character, not the actor. Um, Christian kind of plays it off like it wasn't a done deal. Like he barely even knows about it, even though he used all his miles to buy that ticket already. Um, and then on their drive home, when she's like, the fuck, man? Hey, what if I was going to Cabo for like gays over COVID and I didn't tell you? Exactly. Right? <laughs> like, and he's just like, no, like I barely even knew. But I mean, if you want to go, like you should totally come. He's That's like, how I like getting like, Yeah, it. it's totally like, oh my God, I didn't know. But like, if you totally want to come, you can totally come. And he's but like, like, don't feel obligated to go. Like, don't feel obligated. It's like, <laughs> It again, uh, for any of us who have had this partner, there's so many of these scenes that so many of us recognize and are like, yep, there he is. Uh, there he is. And so he kind of gaslights her. Uh, he's okay, let's just put, do an overarching. He spends this whole film gaslighting her until he gets gaslit, right? Like, that's <laughs> just it. Um, but he's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I didn't have to tell you. Um, and then he pulls this one, which I think is, again, this is a story of grief and gaslighting. He's like, fine, I'm sorry. And Danny has a moment of like recognition. She goes, um, you didn't apologize. You said, I'm sorry, which sounded a lot like too bad. I want that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Cause I would say 70% of the times that I get an, I'm sorry from anyone. That is actually what is being said too bad too bad um and so she gets a little afraid when like he kind of is startled by that kind of like fuck off to him and then she's like never mind i mean we we should go you can write um the narrator's like it would not inspire him to write um but she just again she constantly doubts the affirmation of her voice and her agency um, so walk me through Christian letting the boys know that she's coming. Cause I think this scene is like mwah, chef's kiss of this is who Christian is. <laughs> this is like, so, so reminiscent of men, right? 
<laughs> it's really, I mean, when you're like, I don't like this film, I'm like, I feel really seen by this film. No, totally. I mean, there's a lot in this film that if you really sit there to watch it, it, it is a horror film, but it's like one of those mind fuckery horror films, yeah. right? Um, because it makes you realize things amongst yourselves. I bet you a lot Am of- Am I in a horror film? Yes. Are you in the male cis hat patriarchy? Then yes. That is called life. <laughs> yes, we are in a horror film. <laughs> so Christian lets the guys know he invited her, but he's like, she's totally not going to come. But, um, you know, he tries to remind them that, you know, she's been through a lot, but she's not going to actually come. And that, you know, when she actually comes in and she confirms she does want to go, he's like, oh, fuck. Right. He literally exits the room. Yeah. Like he leaves her with Pele. Yeah. Which is really like when you think about it, when these guys are there and then it's just her and Pele, what that means for like what actually happens in the film. Agreed. Um, And I will say just from personal experience, so many of my friends who have dated this Christian archetype, right, end up with the dude they got left in the room with. The dude who listened, the dude who saw their humanity, the dude who was like, not nice guy TM, but the dude who literally was like, I'm sorry, that dude's a dick. Right? Um, so Pelly's the first person in the entire film to verbalize the question, how are you doing? Are you okay? right? Acknowledges her humanity. If you'll remember when we were breaking down the crown, we talked about how a huge red flag in the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle thing was when an interviewer asked her, are you okay? And she is the first royal not on camera during a caught interview to get verklempt and was like, no one's asked me that in a really long time. And so that for me is very a very real kind of moment in this film because he's just like are you like are you okay like I see you I see you is a big theme here um he acknowledges that she's as smart because she's in grad school with them which we really don't get a real sense of until he's like I know you're studying psychology um which I think points to women being much more open to exploring the interior lives of the human existence right And then he breaks down that Midsummer is going to be a nine-day festival, what Taylor Swift promised us and we never got. It's going to be at his Swedish commune. And he even kind of makes it campy. He's like, look, there's going to be a ton of theater and pageantry. And then he shows her some pictures and everyone's doing stuff together. He's got pictures of the old May Queen. And then he says, I'm just really glad you're coming. And then when she seems to kind of be startled by someone not being bothered by her existence. He says, I, you know, I keep, I, I've meant to tell you, I'm really sorry for your loss. I lost my parents. And so I know the pain and um, that bridging technique for grief um, when it's too close to the grief uh, can be very difficult to hear. Um, and yet it's, it is actually what you need to hear in grief. You just have to slowly and steadily um, build to it. So she can't even handle that acknowledgement of the yes. loss. So she, she walks away, but she's, you can tell she's grateful for the acknowledgement, but she just, she's she not ready. Yeah, she's not ready. It's, and it does the beautiful transition to them on the plane where she has the panic attack in the bathroom of like, 
again, she's, she is actively living through grief. So grief is not a destination. Grief is not a moment in time. Grief is a process. It is a lot of things. And Ari Aster does this really good thing about these kind of really interesting Hitchcockian kind of like camera transitions where the same emotion is felt in different places in time. Uh, so we're in the back. I really appreciated the simplicity though, right? Like, Gorgeous. like in, in which you understand it's those, you have people during grief that can't even accept it and don't know how to handle it. And yep. then you have people later turn out to be trying to lure you into a Swedish neo-pagan cult, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but like his simplest answer question of, are you okay? Right. It's and like, actually, we'll get a couple questions from Pele, which I think we like. We should tattoo on our bodies, metaphorically speaking, as we navigate who we choose as family, both both blood and chosen. Mm-hmm. So, so we're on this plane. Danny's struggling with anxiety, and this is the this scene has these beautiful sun rays coming through the airplane window, which I think is just a nod to the fact that we're about to transition into a world of horror that we've never really lived through. From very dark to very To very bright and perpetual brightness. White. White, white. Both both like the people and the lighting. White. Uh, unbearable whiteness. Red-headed people. Unbearable whiteness. Um, so if you've never been to Halloween Horror Nights or anything like that, um, one of the things that uh, those of us who are like haunted house experts know is a house with light is a million times scarier than a house without it. So usually Halloween Horror Nights has nine to 10 houses that are in the dark and one usually done by Rob Zombie uh, that is glow in brightness where your distortion comes from what you can see in the light and not the darkness. Y'all, I will do 10 haunted houses in the dark before I go through one with light. It is so, di- it is so disorienting. Um, it is completely counterintuitive to our own kind of want to hide in fear. So um, they drive out to Pele's village. Uh, I would look at this as leaving behind the constructs that hold Danny's pain. So we're, we're walking away, we're driving away from individualism, capitalism. Interestingly enough, again, Ari Aster is brilliant with camera work. The car pans upside down. And so I feel like this is an Alice through the rabbit hole of we don't, the car's upside down during this entire scene where we're driving away from what is like life, the city, all of it, right? Towards this midsummer festival. And what's interesting is they can't even take the car the whole way there, right? They have to leave the car at a certain place and they get out. And this is where we first meet folks from the commune. Um, Flower Crown Central, I would fit right in. Also, as many of you know, if there is a cult with flower crowns, I'm joining. Yep. It's done. If there is a flower crown involved, Marcy is your gal. I love how you were so generous there, because what it should have been was, if there's a cult to join, she's going to. If there is a cult, <laughs> Marcy is 74% likely to join. <laughs> if there is a maypole also involved in the done, done. up to 83%. Let me in. Let me in. Um, so here we meet um, Pele's brother, right? And they give each other this massive 
bear hug. <laughs> this very tight, lovey-dovey, touchy-feely, beginning the deconstruction of Christian's masculinity hug, right? Um, and we learn that his name is Ingomar. And Ingomar has also brought friends to the cult because that's what you do when you're in a cult. This is called recruiting and fishing. For those of you who have followed us from season one of The Purge, where we talked about cults, um, if you are- You never get away from them, Marcy. You really can't. You can't. Uh, That's because most things are a cult. Uh, If you are young, conventionally attractive, your number one directive in a cult will always be to fish and bring in new people. Yes, and to Uh, recruit. And to recruit a hundred percent. So Ingemar offers them all shrooms, lovely, great, super smart. I would also take shrooms from Ingemar without questioning why, where, how, any of it. Um, there's this interesting exchange where Christian, I think anticipating that Danny's a killjoy, right? Is like, you don't have to do it yet. And she's like, I think I might just wait a bit. Again, not because she's a killjoy, because she just met Ingomar and maybe don't take drugs from someone you just met. Like, unless it's like. It's like, I'm the same way. Like when people are like, you want this? I'm like, no, not right now. I need. How to- about I watch you take it first? Yeah, how about I watch you take it? I <laughs> listen to those videos. Uh, how, about, how about they're either just going to have to straight up murder me because I did not. Right. This isn't the Playboy Mansion 1992 where we're just handing out quaaludes. Okay. Yeah, right. Like so you're, it's you're interesting. You're going to have to murder me right away because I did not take the, para, uh, the paralyzing you. tea or I did. Thank you. Like, it's funny because like for Christian, it's like, oh, she, she's going to ruin this. Where I'm like, she's literally the only one of y'all who has like a tiny bit of sense. Like as much as you like Pele, you li- these shrooms could be from Whole Foods or they could be from Black Phillip in The Witch. We don't know. Um, but she feels bad because Christian, blink- he does this thing again. He does this thing where he's like, Danny doesn't want to take them, so I'm going to sit it out with her. Yeah, I'm such a good guy. I am such a good Christian TM. Right. So she feels bad. She's like, never mind. Let me ride. Let's just, let's just all take them. It's fine. It's fine. I'm totally ready. I'm totally good. Someone who's been through grief knows how much performance goes into making the people around you feel comfortable with your grief and your timing. Right. So this is, um, this is her overriding her common sense of not taking drugs from a stranger and also performing okayness for those around her because our world asks us to heal at a rate that is so impossible, so inequitable, so unjust. um, You're not allowed to grieve. You get a certain amount of time off and then you have to come back to work. Come back. If if it's a quarter of a million people who have died from a pandemic, we're not even going to grieve at all. We're not even going to admit to it. There would be a memorial. There should be. We haven't done it. We haven't, we haven't for a second, you know, taking a step out for 2020, 2021, we collectively as a country, as a humanity have not grieved the magnitude of loss. And how, why does that matter? Because it will be coming out in trauma in a million different ways over the next like 20, 30 years. So, um, so let's take shrooms, shroom tea, um, or as Brent calls it, fungus. Fungus. It is fungus. He hates mushrooms. It is, it is fungus. I have never done mushrooms. Ever? Uh, no. You want me on psychedelics? No, not really. Okay, thank you. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. My experience on shrooms was very similar to... White uh, man climbs top Everest without <laughs> oxygen. Do you know him? 
I will say uh, shrooms happened during a time in LA. They were legal in LA. They were neon blue and I should have known better. Um, <laughs> never congest neon blue. No, not at all. Uh, actually, gifts. Just a to- rule of thumb, listeners. Rule if anyone thumb. offers you neon blue things, do not Maybe eat them. Maybe no. Maybe no. But interestingly enough, uh, they they were gifted to a friend by a very famous film director uh, after a, a rap party. And I luckily, my only experience was very similar to Danny's, which is I thought the carpet could go through my hands and spent a very long or short amount of time. I actually don't have a concept of how long it was uh, pondering how permeable my body was, which that's a great, that's a great trip. That is way better than, than friends who I have a really good friend whose first time ever doing shrooms, she decided to play Mario Kart and then was convinced that she was in Mario Kart for what she thought was a month. It was apparently only two, two hours, but it was a rough ride. Um, so they sit on the ground. She sees herself as one with the earth, gorgeous shots of the grass coming through her arm, her being one with the earth and the trees kind of breathing in sync with her. Breathing is a huge theme in this film, like these deep collective breaths. Somatic work is what it's called in healing work, right? Um, These beautiful deep breaths that um, she's taking with with the trees, right? not Josh, I messed it up here. Mark, Mark is his eyebrows, right? Mm-hmm. Mark just keeps telling everyone to shut up and experience it with him. He's like, everyone lie down. Typical everyone, white man, just, just sit down here, sit down here. and let me experience this. And he, and he is totally me. that guy. He is totally that mother that is like, you're like, oh, he's cute and everything. And then like you get him home and it's like two pumps and he's done. <laughs> See, I would say this he, is not a children's podcast. Okay, this is not a children's podcast. But I you know I'm right. You know I'm right. No, you're 100 percent right. And He's, it's small. <laughs> with those eyebrows, there's only one thing that can have that type of I'm magnet. not saying this for the actor. I'm sure the actor is very fine. I'm saying this for the, the for Mark himself. Mark, Mark himself. Quite her. Um, I will say that there is something to be said about here's this amazing spiritual experience they're having. And there's this white dude who's like up, down, up, down everyone like he's catholic he's literally forcing everyone to feel it in one singular way and no one else can experience the numinous in any other way right and then he says um that thing that i hate like i hate this from uh employers i hate this from dissertation committees i hate this from any systems that hold power over you we're like a family you all are my real family and danny literally just jumps up and runs like she's fine with everything until he's like you're my family she's like the fuck i'm your family runs um obviously this triggers the loss of her family but also she doesn't see that term reflected in these men that are surrounding her so she runs she's trying to get away she's like unwell and she keeps it repeating to herself this mantra it's almost my birthday and i'll be fine like it's almost my birthday we'll celebrate and like i'm gonna be fine um and so she's kind of like some some of the folks from the community are trying to help her as she freaks out like are you okay and she's kind of like distancing herself from it and i read this as her kind of chafing from the idea of anyone seeing her in grief right again because we are asked to experience grief in the privacy of our own darkness 
right? In the hollow echoes of our bone People chamber. cannot deal with other people's grief because no. what you do, you have to recognize your own. Well, and remember, the boys don't run after her. It's the community members who are like, are you okay? Ingmar's like, Rangers. are you okay? The Swedish yeah. people come out and they're like, Swedish. hello. The Swedish. <laughs> hello, can we help you, <laughs> white lady who looks just like us? <laughs> yeah, no joke. So Danny um, accidentally kind of runs into what I think is an outhouse that has a mirror. And she sees her own reflection and that reflection of her alone then makes her revisit the images of her parents and the loss of her parents. And she passes out. So she wakes up hours later and everyone's kind of waiting on her to wake up. Um, Pele doesn't look upset. Eyebrows and Chidi look pissed as fuck. Right. And um, she asked Christian, like, how is it a different day? Like how many hours have passed? Because we're in the part of midsummer uh, where the sun will keep shining. So the opposite of uh, the film, the horror film, what was it? 40 days and 40 nights in Alaska, where it's just 40 days of, of night. Hashtag uh, Josh Hartnett was incredible in that film. Um, so good. But Ooh. here it's just perpetual day. Oh, so I hate that movie. Do you really? I you hate that movie. I mean, I don't hate it because like it's a bad movie. It is terrifying. It is really scary. I saw that in the theaters and I could not sleep. Oh my god. No. <laughs> You're taking those somatic, somatic breaths, just deep breaths. Should I grieve? Should I just start moaning? Like <laughs> you have to, find, I want, you have you have to learn how to do the Florence Pew, where like it's just like she works her way into it, you know. She really, really does. So she asks Christian if a day has passed. And Christian's like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So for her, she realizes it's her birthday, right? Christian does not. And she doesn't remind him of it. Again, because you cover for your shitty partners and she's hoping that he'll remember of his own, you know, that she exists, right? I think the birthday is important, not because of a birthday, but because what we're being asked to, to acknowledge is that Christian does not acknowledge Danny's existence outside of what she can offer him, right? So now we go back in the cars, but we're no longer upside down. We're driving to the village. Uh, and then we get back out, uh, walk the rest of the way, and we enter the village through a gorgeous wooden structure that's like a sunbeam, right? And from here on out, we are in Sunshine Central for the rest of this film. Very few dark scenes, and the dark scenes are very strategic. The village is like this throwback commune. It's where I'm going to retire when I get to my golden girl's age um, before they throw me off a fucking mountain. Jesus Christ. Um, and the beauty of it gets the first genuine smile out of Danny in this entire film. So we haven't seen her smile for the first 30 minutes of this film as she walks through the sunburst and the actual visceral beauty of this place, of the people playing the pan flute like they're in Zelda just makes her have this like ear to ear smile. Um, Pele introduces them to family. He, he refers to everyone as sisters and brothers, which should trigger something in us, but it usually doesn't until a second or third viewing. Because they really are. <laughs> they both are and aren't, right? Like the community views themselves all as family, but we really don't know who is uh, genetically connected, though we know that there's some genetic issues happening in this village, which is why they're trying to bring in new blood. Um, Pele hugs his adopted father mentor again, 
super deep hug, the type John and I will give each other at LAX when he volunteers out of the goodness of his heart to pick me up from LAX Which during friendship. time. That is Which friendship. Is friendship. That is if friendship. You have friends in LA. Okay, so here's if you live in LA. Yes. And if you want to know who your friends are, will you go, will you pick me up from LAX? Yes. <laughs> and 100%. they will either and they will either say, uh, fine. True friend. True friend. If they're like, oh, let me get back to you, fake as fuck. Fake. Fake friend. And if they're like, okay, just give me a minute, and then they get back to you, you still have some work to do, but they're a friend. Still a friend. Still a friend. Um, so again, we got these deep hugs. Um, they kind of give a brief overview of like, there's going to be rituals. And then we have um, Mark uh, explain the rituals back to them as if it's not their own rituals. Uh, so here we're going to kind of break down uh, the use of, of Mark and his blackness in this space as a critique of whiteness. Yeah. So the only way to critique cultural appropriation, the, the academy, to have an other coming in to usurp the ancient knowledge, the oral history, everything within this commune, right? The thing is, we have two things at play. One, visually, to have a Black male academic come in does a visual contrast, right, of the way that white people have historically always looked coming into places of color, communities of color, to steal their knowledge, to steal their wisdom, to put their names on it and become specialists um, in, in things that they have every right to admire, they have no right to own, right? So with Mark, this first scene where he literally cannot help himself, but explain to the mentor elder of this community how he, he knows more about these rituals than he does is a really, really stunning visual and intellectual play on the white man and white academia as a whole. Uh, this will take a turn. So at the top of the Karen hierarchy, at the top, at the hierarchy of whiteness, right, is power, right, and proximity to power. So in our current society, whiteness is the closest thing to power. Right. So then you've got white men, white women, white children. Um, right. And then you get the subsets, which is male, female um, and, and the proximities to power, which in our context is white, are super important. Where Mark is interesting is in this space and time, um, he is the one with the closest proximity. He is male. He is highly educated. There are a bunch of clues to the fact that he comes from money, right? And so in this space, he is our typical uh, white male academic. That it's done in a black body is a very, very conscious visual sign, but also talks about the ways in which, in which intersectionality works within power, right? So uh, Mark's dick. He's going to continue to be a dick, but very useful. So we've got the introduction ceremony. Uh, they raise their glasses and they scream skull, 
mm-hmm. which you being from Wisconsin is what I think you say at Thanksgiving. I don't know. I think it's like Prost or something. I don't know. We're not those people. <laughs> um, interesting snapshots. We see a malformed child painting. We don't have a lot of context to it. And then we see this elder woman and man who are given fire during this opening ceremony, letting us know that they may be of importance momentarily, literally momentarily. And then we meet a redhead who is Pele's sister, like they all are. Aha, played by Isabel Grill. And interesting biblical symbolism here. If they throw a redhead into the story, we're in danger. We're in danger danger. zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Also, the name Maha means the goddess of springtime, warmth, and increase fertility. So nothing here is by accident. And Maha uh, will be putting some dominoes into play that are very important. The first domino is she, from the moment he walks in, lets Christian know she's interested. And how does she do it? There's a lot of ways. Some are better than others. Let's start with the non, the non, uh, let's start with the most innocuous ones, which is right now she just, she like, I fucks him every time he's in this, in the, on the screen. Uh, it's going to change very soon, but we see some communal dances that also include somatic breathing. And these Americans have no idea what to do with it. So, um, everyone's dancing to pan flutes right zelda and then all of these people are just like sitting looking and even Pelly's like hey why don't you join in and she's like no 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 that that's no looks uncomfortable or something what does she say yeah she's like that doesn't no i'm not comfortable with that like no no um and so Danny sits with Pele. the boys go off to look at stuff because remember they're there to pillage from the village. Uh, that's their t-shirt. Their their Disney vacation t-shirt is pillage from the village, y'all. And uh, Christian wants to meet Maha. Yeah, he's also, he's still looking at Maha. And Pele actually pulls out a drawing of Danny, of her as the May Queen, and says, I know it's your birthday. I made you something small. And she, I think, forgets herself, right? Forgets the performance, forgets all of that, and says he didn't remember. He forgot. But then she's like, it's not his fault. I mean, there's there's no night or day, so how could he know? Um, but I think it's important that she takes that step and names it and trusts Pele with it. Um, I've had folks who are like, Pele is a vulture who is preying on Danny. I don't interpret it as such, but I'm open to that interpretation um, that he is, is, to a certain extent, a, a villain or a bad actor in this film. I don't think that's it bad actor within the villain sense not like he's a bad actor he's a great actor um so then we go on the village tour and we meet some new folks it's the folks that ingamar brought in connie and simon right we meet them again um and have you ever lived through this because like uh connie and simon asked danny uh and christian how long we've been together and danny and christian both give different answers because christian can't even remember how long they've been together usually when the relationship's really bad it's that's like a get out you're like we've been together for 15 years and the guy's like um i just met you like i did she doesn't even go here (laughs) it's like not a great moment right um 
And then we know that Connie and Simon worked on a farm. They're now engaged. That's where Ingemar met them. I think this lets us know that they are trying to a certain extent, bring new blood, new DNA, new anything into the commune that have the skills needed to be there, right? So we've got scholars who studied their particular type of, um, of traditions, right? We've got um, Danny who has a psychology background, which I think is super important, relational, and then we've got farmers. Um, and then during this walk, we see the sacred temple. They're told they're not allowed to go anywhere near it. It is like a yellow wooden teepee built building, right? Um, we walk by some more murals, right? We walk by a bear in a cage. We're just going to ignore it and accept it. Yep. Like it's not a big deal. Just a bear. Just a bear. Uh, I will say this mural does have depictions of a young redheaded woman cutting her pubes off and putting them in a drink. So no one should be surprised when that shows up in the film later. Yet a lot of people seem to be very surprised by it when it happens later in the film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this film does like, it does foreshadow what it's going to do. As fairy tales so often Always do. Always do. Fairy tales. Okay. and the But it's just... A dramatic fairy tale. Very, very. <laughs> where, like you where should. The, where the you... mystical elf who delivers presents actually will eat them. <laughs> right, right. But you should never be walking through a Nordic fairy tale of any sort, Germanic fairy tale of any sort, and be surprised by the ending. If you are, then you might need to work on your reading comprehension skills. Yeah. So he takes them to this huge building which is where they're all going to sleep communally not like an orgy there's individual beds but he explains that folks up until they're 16 are considered children uh and they're in the springtime of their life um from 18 to 36 uh and from childhood to 36 they actually live in this communal house but 18 to 36 is considered their pilgrimage. It's when they're allowed to go and study. It's when they go and recruit people because they're at their hottest. Um, this is the summer of their lives. Then from 36 to 54, that's considered working age, which is the fall. Um, my dad is singing Frank Sinatra's, um, that song where it's like, when I was 17. Um, and then from 54 to 72 is a mentor, the winter. Please note, because I've had to take this out of the outline myself because I'm conditioned to it. They use mentor, not elder. So that should, one, be a red flag. There are no elders in this community. There are mentors, and then there are none. Gone. Gone. Um, so Danny does ask, so what happens at 72? But Pelle doesn't respond. Um, typical man. Typical man. Uh, then Josh kind of observes, like, there's not a lot of privacy in here right? And Danny's just kind of taking it in. Um, and then we have this scene that I think is really interesting where Pele lets Christian know he forgot Danny's birthday and like gives him a little cake to give her, right? This like side com like conversation, which shows this communal ethic of care. Like, you know, you drop the ball, here's the cake, here's the candle, fix this, right? Um, and then we've got Mark writing down everything he can see like he's literally not interacting with people because he's so busy pillaging the village um yeah yeah i mean we experienced a lot of pillaging the village in academia didn't we always always 
always um i always told people it's like, like some white guy from vermont who's like i really want to study evangelical culture or something it's like it's like what it's never that for me it was always the like the white men and women who were like i want to study black feminists and then they would put oh. their names all over all of it and it's just like are you oh my kidding God. me are you kidding me? i'm thinking of people that we both yeah. know now. yeah 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 we saw a lot of theft intellectual theft and also what i call emotional theft a lot of work goes into the type of documenting story oral narration of the human experience to then have white people go tell it um so christian goes to danny with the piece of cake and he's like i'm so sorry for god he sings to her happy birthday in the most awkward scene because danny tells him to stop and she's like it's not necessary and he apologizes but like she seems really unbothered by it not like in a trying to minimize it but it's just like it doesn't mean anything to her in that moment like that moment has passed also pele slipped right into her dms and got it already right so um so communal house they're all sleeping mark is writing um again this just this beautiful juxtaposition of uh the unbearable whiteness and the theft happening being a mirror of what happens in brown communities with white scholars um and then christian asks pele what's happening tomorrow and pele is like fuck off go to bed you'll see tomorrow and christian tries to google it right um and that's when we find out that they are no longer within cell service so um dun, dun. which in every horror film is like oh shit the Shit. moment you can't go on Google. Right, right. You know you're going to get murdered. You're about to die. I can't really criticize Christian too much because I think Brent and most of my family knows, like, if there is a spoiler to be found, I will find it. Like, I watched Game of Thrones uh, some episodes months before they even dropped. So, um, but again, a red flag that we are no longer, that help is not on the way for whatever's coming. We wake up and there's like communal singing and exercise, somatic breathing happening outside as they prep for day two. They have breakfast, which does not look good, John. It's like, honestly, the food looks like what Rose describes in Golden Girls. Swedish as, food? Yeah, like from St. Olaf. Like, no, like, gefilte fish, all this like crap. No. It, Sorry it to any of our Swedish listeners, but it's gross. It doesn't look great. Um, it doesn't look great, but I also want to acknowledge that like Nordic fruit is like the most delicious fruit in the world. Like a, like a Swedish strawberry, it doesn't even taste anything related to an American strawberry. Um, but the, the meals look sparse and very kind of like medicinal, right? They're sitting at this table that's like rune shaped and it's a little strange. Um, and so we've got Josh, who's like all about the girls. And he's like literally gauging every woman that walks near him. Like, can I have sex with them? Can I not have sex with them? Again, they're to pillage. He's pillaging something different than Josh and Christian. But no, no less of an example of what, of what white men or, or men with power do in communities where they have a leg up, right? Um, they they start their dinner or their, their celebratory lunch, not dinner. The elders we saw the day before have special chairs where they're sitting dressed in blue. They start doing mentors. Some, I know the mentors, right? I have to keep catching myself. They start doing some breathing vocalization rituals, which 
we should now assume are prayers and final words. Um, Danny's kind of entranced watching it happen. And she's like, Ooh, this is, this is interesting. Right. Um, and so a, a bunch of other mentors in blue come over and pick them up, pick up those chairs and start taking them off. We don't know where, but we do now. Um, and, and John, did you know at this moment, something was about to go down? Um, uh, yes. I mean, anytime anyone climbs up to the top of a rock after being dressed in a specific color and there is ritualistic (laughs) breathing going on or moaning, it's not going to end well for the people that do not look like the others. I feel like this was like the moment where I was like, this is not the film I thought it would be, but I'm in. Right. So they, they start taking these two mentors away Um, The blue folks, right? The blue man group comes over, grabs them, picks them up, and they start reading from a book, right? Um, And what is it? Mark? Mark is like, I want, I want that book. Like, I want that information um, to which Pele is like, not Mark, Josh. Um, Josh is like, I want that book. I want the information. And Pele is like, no, like the, the books and our writings are not up to, they're not up for grabs at all. Um, and so the mentors are being led up a, a what I would call like a cliff, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's a really huge rock area just right there. With a rock at the bottom and everyone should have put two and two together. Um, and so it is time. Uh, they drag some bloody handprints across uh, some runes to let us know that whatever this ritual is about to begin, they do some more kind of beautiful guttural singing um, stuff at the top. And then the woman throws herself off the top to die. <laughs> and, and look, Ariaster really likes uh, some thuds. Yes. Uh, if you've watched Hereditary, this man, his use of sound is really disturbing. So she hits the floor, blah, her face is gone, everything's gone. Um, we hear Danny, Danny's breathing begin to kind of accelerate. Uh, so she knows what's up. She's, she's not freaking out, but also everything is muted now. So we can hear Christian and Simon and Connie and everyone freaking out. Simon's screaming like, the fuck, the fuck, right? But it's completely muted out because Danny, uh, and this is a trauma response and also a trauma projection. This is how people with trauma protect themselves when they cannot process what's happening. She is there, but not there. She can hear, but she can't hear. And then the old man throws himself off. So both of our... um, both of our plenary speakers from this conference have thrown themselves off. Both of our plenary speakers have killed themselves. <laughs> They're done. Not they, they, No, they actually, you know, oh, this is actually a really unique question. Have they killed themselves or are they sacrificing themselves? So I actually, I, um, I think it's really important to understand this as what, so what Pele describes it to them, Right as this is Pele and the woman who's leading the ritual. This is an ancient custom 
They had reached the end of their life cycle as they understood it. So this has a lot to do with sunsetting. Um, something, John, you and I both work uh, within government, nonprofit. Um, sunsetting is actually something that people are talking about a lot when it comes to leadership right now. Like how much harm is done in so many sectors with folks not knowing when it's their time to let go of power, right? So like a lot of us are working upstream against folks who hold power, who have not kept up to date, are not, um, the, their, the vision they had 20 years ago is no longer visionary, all of that. So Pele and they explain like, they've reached the end of their life cycle. They're making room for a new life, new ideas, newness. And instead of dying old and in pain and with shame, um, this honors their spirits, their voices in the community, leaving that memory of them untainted. I would ask how having the community smash the old man to death because he didn't die on the fall is super honorable, but um, I, will, I will share this on a human level. Having watched a grandparent die of Alzheimer's and watching them die day after day for 10 years, don't tell me that somehow this is less horrific or violent, right? Um, I know that end of life care is super um, difficult for folks to kind of process, but I don't think, John, to answer your question, that this is them being killed. I think this is them choosing the right to end their lives and to end them within a narrative that they're comfortable with. Um, so I, like, I, we are splitting this into a couple parts because there's so much in this film. Um, it is almost a triptych of itself. Um, and I think it's important to actually end this first one um, here because- the signals. The signals a massive shift in this film. What's so about now, Right, now we've got everyone freaking out except for Danny. Danny's actually oddly calm. She does say she doesn't want to be with anyone, but when she asks for time by herself and Christian's like fine and doesn't even like offer to be with her, she sets, sits down, she pews, so she wails, but the wails are for the death that she witnessed and lived herself um, for that untouched grief. And I think there's a part of me that understands that Danny has a very real recognition that her family died alone in the wrong life cycles, right? The inhumanity of it was very different than what she just saw. She's effectively seen and lived through worse, right? And, um, and so I think that is why there's this massive shift where all of a sudden these boys who were like, everything's cool, everything's fine, even though there's red flags everywhere, are like, fuck, shit, fuck. And, um, and Danny is oddly... I wouldn't say she's like, this is great, but I would say that one of the things that trauma unfortunately does is it makes people very resilient. And if you've encountered deep, deep darkness, it does change you yeah. and it changes perception and it changes what happens, right? Um, and so we'll close this out with this kind of idea that this is the first, I would say third of the movie Right. And this first third of the movie sets up that these colonizers, for lack of a better word, these new folks, these white folks, um, and people who are like, but everyone's white. Yes, but there is a massive distinction between the peasant commune and these folks that have been brought in. Um, the power dynamic just shifted. Yeah. 
the power dynamics just shifted. So just ain't your mama's version of a Swedish neo-pagan cult anymore. <laughs> this is not Echo Park in the 60s. This is definitely not Silver Lake in the 60s no, so in our next episode, we will um, grapple with what happens when you realize that you maybe did not go to the Coachella of your dreams. Uh, tons of sim- uh, like symbolism and tons of deconstruction of trauma and pain to come. Um, thank you for your patience because this is super dense stuff, but I think it's so, John knows, I find this film to be totally fascinating, but also I think that the more I have lived through and we have lived through the trauma pain, um, the compounded trauma of 2020, 2021, the compounded trauma of the civil rights um, uprisings of the last four or five years, six years, um, that we need to be talking a lot more about how we deal with grief and pain and suffering, um, how we deconstruct um, the primacy of the individual in capitalism, how we view communities. Um, yeah, and for John, really just kind of break down how flower crowns shouldn't be scary, though they might live in that place forever for him. Well, and also like how this presents religion in a really specific way that I think a lot of people aren't used to because it's not the normative Christian yeah. religion. Like this is really like old Germanic, Swedish, like ritualistic gods religion. Like if you watch the American Gods series on stars, it's There's very- a lot there. It's a lot there. And I would say like particularly not just Swedish Nordic, um, but- a lot of folks just really have no concept of time when it comes to our modern religions and how long they've been around. Um, in the context of humanity, an eye blink, right? A, like a godforsaken second. And we consider them to be foundational to the human experience. They're just not. Christianity on the life scale of the midsummer life scale is still living in the communal household side by side with religions, traditions um, from... I mean, dating back to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, and we're talking tens of years, right? And the propaganda and narrative that all of these religious practices were barbaric and cruel and were inhumane obviously gives a primacy to Western thought and Western process and the Westernizing of religion um, and the prioritizing of modern Abrahamic religions. Um, but, you know, like, I'm Colombian, right? Like, like I, I'm from this, the global South and our folks were annihilated and, <laughs> and erased, but our traditions, you know, they still live in the blood of our people. And I think it's interesting to see very similar, um, again, the use of whiteness to explain what's happened to brown bodies. A lot of these rituals were very present in like Aztec, Mayan, um, for, for where I'm from in Colombia, Aurra, like in our indigenous practices, right? Uh, there's an ability for, um, I think, the white lens to view it differently when it's a white commune of peasants performing effectively what brown, black, brown and black bodies have been accused of, of being barbaric for for a very long time. Um, so just a ton here. We'll be back next week. Oh, well, How you'll you be back. I, I don't know if I'll be back. John's going to go pew a bit in his room. <laughs> I'm going to go pew all over my room. 
and we will be back next week y'all hopefully by then matt gates is in jail if he's not um you can venmo me some alcohol please because i'm still stuck in the state for a while longer fingers crossed <laughs> fingers crossed bye y'all bye oh, no, no, no.